And just want to take a second and thank Policy Genius. They're supporting today's episode of Success Story. I know we all have kids. We all have families we want to take care of. And I personally check something off major on my to-do list, life insurance. It's a tough topic. It's really hard to think about, but it's so important. And the hard part was sorting through all the options. Luckily, I found Policy Genius. Policy Genius is an online insurance marketplace that makes getting life insurance surprisingly easy. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $292 per year for a million dollars of coverage. Some options offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. Now, knowing my family's protected brings me incredible peace of mind. Don't put off this important decision. Check life insurance off your to-do list in no time with Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com or click the link in the description to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. Welcome to the Success Story Podcast. I'm your host, Scott Clary. On this podcast, I have candid interviews with execs, celebrities, politicians, and other notable figures, all who have achieved success through both wins and losses, to learn more about their life, their ideas, and their insights. I sit down with leaders and mentors and unpack their story to help pass those lessons on to others through both experiences and tactical strategy for business professionals, entrepreneurs, and everyone in between. Without further ado, another episode of the Success Story Podcast. Uh, thanks again for joining me today. I am sitting down with Chris Pan. Now, Chris Pan has accomplished uh, an extraordinary amount for his age. He worked as a senior consultant at McKinsey & Co., followed by two years as a marketing director for PepsiCo. Then he spent four years working at Facebook, and I found this little knowledge nugget while he was there. Mark Zuckerberg took an interest in learning Chinese and recruited uh, Chris to help. Now, Chris is the founder of My Intent. He's on a mission to bring spiritual and emotional wellness to those who need it most with his jewelry line, My Intent. Uh, through high school and college, he led his youth group and was a motivational speaker. After college, he was, uh, he was led to pursue financial security and status, studying at Harvard Business School and then eventually working at Facebook before he retired uh, from there and started My Intent. Very interesting. You know, we were just chatting about your story, like, you ask me why why am I here? Why am I on this show? It's because your story is all over the place in terms of your career, where you went, where you started, and now where you're at with my intent with a spiritually focused, positivity focused um, jewelry line. So tell me, thank you first. Thank you, Chris, for joining. But tell me your story. Tell me how you got to, to where you are today and what sort of guy did you hear? Uh, I think... It's interesting. I just had a session with uh, my therapist and uh, he shared the insight that, you know, it's more about failures are our greatest teachers and failures is really our guru and it's what um, builds us and it's our ability to be courageous and take risks and fail that we don't celebrate and we don't talk about. And so that really um, resonated uh, a lot with me um, because as I look back, you know, everything you mentioned were all the things that worked more or less, mm -hmm. but there were a lot of things that didn't work. And there were a lot of hard moments that I had to get up from and just pick myself back up or, you know, along the way, I felt like each, you know, every time there was a mountain peak, there was a valley right after it. And then there was another mountain peak, but it was a little bit higher and then another valley. And it, you know, my, my journey has been very up and down. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's, uh, typical of a lot of entrepreneur, entrepreneurial journeys. Um, I think for me, the insights I've gotten about myself is a lot of my drive has come from 
um, some pretty deep pain and some pretty deep trauma that I experienced as a kid. Uh, I was born in Taipei, Taiwan. And then at four years old, my parents left me to go to the U.S. and left me with my grandmother, my grandfather. And they did that because they couldn't afford a babysitter. My dad was in grad school. My mom was working to pay the bills. And so they didn't have enough funds to um, have a babysitter for me. So from four to seven, I, I think I repressed all that, you know, that happened to me inside. But as I've been working on a lot of uh, getting to know myself, that ended up being very traumatic for me. And then at age seven, I um, got my green card, moved to the U.S., landed in Cincinnati, Ohio, where I didn't speak any English. I knew how to say hello. And then on the plane, I think I learned, hello, my name is, and that was it. And my grandmother flew me over um, with me, and then I landed. And I'm in this school that was um, an inner city school. It was um, not the easiest place to be. I remember being picked on. I remember not fitting in. I mean, for probably a good two years, I couldn't communicate with most of the kids. I did um, get put into an ESL program, English as Second Language, for the first half of the day. And in the second half, I would take science and math with everyone else. But I think it was a really hard time. And I was pretty lonely. I was pretty um, isolated. And my parents, they were pretty busy. I mean, my dad did his best after work to take me and play soccer with me or get me to be physically more fit to fit in with um, other kids. But, you know, my mom um, had just had my brother and she was pretty tied up with him. So I was kind of just left on my own. And I think it's out of that um, just isolation, loneliness um, that has led me ultimately to, um, to start this uh, project which on the surface, it looks like a jewelry line, but, mm-hmm. um, but it's really about connecting with people, you know, in a meaningful, deeper way. Now, can I ask you, because that makes sense to me. That makes sense that, and I think that a lot of the things that you just, you just have conversation with, with your therapist are, are coming to light in, in this conversation. So I appreciate the authenticity and, and the rawness, but you didn't jump into my intent right away, right? A lot of these things that you're mentioning were when you were younger. So you, you did the traditional career route. I did. And that, and that was, um, I think my, and that was a lot of, because of the experience my parents had, uh, my dad was an engineer for General Electric Aircraft Engines, and he was always under the threat of a layoff, even though he never got laid off over 25 plus years. But there was always that looming threat, and, and that was really drilled into me was economic um, security, you know, spending way below my means, just saving for the future. And uh, when I was, well, they really pushed me to become a doctor um, because they thought that was good for society, helping people, prestigious, um, and lifetime economic security. And I went down that path as a pre-med student at Ohio State University, and then I got into med school, went there for three weeks, and then I just realized it wasn't my path. It wasn't my passion. Um, I liked the idea of helping people, but I didn't get... um, excited by the day-to-day work that it entailed. And my heart and my passion at that moment was in uh, marketing. It was in business. It was in ideas. And that was the first dot-com wave when I saw on the cover of probably like Time, uh, these two guys that started the Globe. They were just out of Cornell, 22, um, had on paper hundreds of millions of dollars. Uh, that all evaporated actually a year later, but at least it looked amazing. And I said, I want to be like that. I want to, you know, retire early so I can go work on whatever it is I want to work on. I didn't know why, but I it planted a seed just seeing that cover that I wanted to have freedom. I, I set a goal of being free by 30 
Um, I didn't achieve it till 35, but that was a goal I set for myself. And I think a lot of the drive I had throughout, you know, college, McKinsey, PepsiCo was um, to some extent, you know, a need to, to prove myself, to be special, you know, because I felt as a kid, I was pretty, you know, not picked for the soccer team or not picked for the dodgeball team, whatever. And so I, I figured, well, hey, if I'm excelling at um, career, then people would like me. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, so I, I was very focused and very diligent. And I think I, I have somewhat of a risk um, taking personality and I can be very focused um, when I want to be uh, to some extent an unhealthy point, because when I get, you know, into something, I really get into it at the cost of maybe, um, you know, my social life or my family life or whatnot. But I chased that goal and try to start a company multiple, you know, several times throughout the decade and a half before I finally landed at Facebook and, and then ended up having a nice exit and achieving it. Um, but that was the, you know, the journey to uh, McKinsey. I went there because actually I'll take a step back. McKinsey. I went because they had a great track record of sending people to Harvard business school. And I had always dreamed of going to Harvard business school since eighth grade, because my dad had brought home a copy of the seven habits of highly effective people, yeah. which I was really curious. Well, I want to be effective. And what are the seven habits? It looks like you have it on your shelf. <laughs> that wasn't on, that wasn't on purpose. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, you know, when people ask me what's, you know, the one book, um, you know, other than maybe the Bible's had a big influence as well, but you know, the most you know, important secular book in my life, it's probably that one. Um, read it early. And then I noticed in the cover that he, uh, Stephen Covey had gone to Harvard business school. So it planted a seed that, um, that's something I might want to do. So, uh, McKinsey then, you know, I knew I would get, you know, they, they kind of, it was, uh, in my mind, kind of like the Navy SEAL training of the business world, right? Yeah. The most elite um, consultants. And I knew I would get trained there. I would get um, then, you know, hopefully recommendations to go to Harvard. I also um, had turned down McKinsey. So I got the offer from a bunch of places, including McKinsey. And then I had this idea I was going to start my own company. This is back in uh, January of 2000. So then I defer, I turned down my offer. And then six months later after the market crashed, and I realized I don't think I have what it takes to start a company. I then called them up and they were very gracious to take me back. So I was very, I've been also very fortunate along the way to have, um, there's been a lot of grace in my life that, you know, I've turned things down and then it's still there, even though I've turned it down. So, um, that's really cool. I ended up at McKinsey a year, you know, a year and a half, two years. Um, and then Harvard was amazing time, learned a ton, you know, the networking and then it went back to McKinsey for a year. And then I realized I just, it wasn't for me. Um, and then at that point I hadn't offered to, um, go be probably one of the youngest marketing directors at PepsiCo, um, for China, which was the second biggest market to run digital marketing. They wanted to bring in someone fairly young and forward thinking and, and kind of out of the box, not trained in TV, um, advertising. Cause that was most of the marketing directors. So I was brought in to do, um, digital marketing. I renamed it to interactive marketing. I wanted marketing that was more engaging. I was also very influenced by this idea of, um, tell me, I forget. Uh, show me, I remember and involve me. I understand. And I think that was probably a Covey principle or it was in the be- the beginning chapters of um, the seven habits. And that always stuck with me. So I said, you know, most of traditional marketing was one way broadcast marketing. You create a cool ad, you stir up some emotions and you get people to buy. That was, you know, marketing, um, you know, P and G PepsiCo, they kind of invented that style. Uh, marketing of the future, especially with um, digital, it was going to be more interactive. And so when I was at PepsiCo, I developed campaigns where, we had a big one that um, invited consumers to submit a story 
that involved the biggest celebrity, um, one of the biggest celebrities um, in Asia, uh, where he would be the main um, star of it. But you get to, like it'd be the equivalent of you writing a script for Justin Timberlake hmm. or for Beyonce. You know, like yeah. we, we had the star that was going to be in there. You get to create a story. So we put it out there, and then we had um, the equivalent of like a hundred thousand dollar prize. I think it ended up being like in and in B, it was like ten thousand dollars. It was a lot of money. And so we did a very interactive campaign. Um, and then the person that ended up winning was a school teacher. And because it involved both a cool idea and then there was voting. And I guess he somehow mobilized his entire school to vote on it. <laughs> and so we were trying to create all this buzz. Um, and it was a cute little story. We, we had him, I think we flew him in. Um, he got to watch the whole filming of it and then we aired it. It was kind of like a strategic airing. Um, it was cool. It was just this whole campaign that we ran for um, a summer to get the script. And then we kind of involved people in the process. Um, so we kind of gave them a peek under the hood of how we de develop a campaign for PepsiCo. That was really cool. The fall of that year, actually winter, my boss uh, did a retreat for all of us. It was meant to inspire us. And there was a lot of Steve Jobs quotes, a lot of you know, change the world ethos. And I got really inspired. Um, so much so that I actually, uh, over the winter break that year, I came to the realization that as much as, you know, my goal to go to PepsiCo was to learn the skill of storytelling, um, using entertainment to market something. But then I started having guilt about, you know, in the end, we were mostly pushing sugar water that, you know, most of us in the office weren't even drinking our own products. Mm -hmm. um, and that was something that bothered me. And, you know, over that winter break, I came to the conclusion that I didn't feel good about what I was doing. And I wanted to, um, it, was, it was like a mini awakening, if you will. And so January, I came back and I resigned. Uh, very boldly. I thought I was like, Ooh, I have freedom. And I, I spent the next three months in bliss exploring all sorts of to change the world and make a difference, et cetera. And then I hit a rock bottom by May of that year, May of uh, 2007, when I realized none of these ideas were probably going to pan out anytime soon. And, you know, I was in China. I'm, uh, not really Chinese, you know, even though I look it, but, uh, I, you know, I speak Chinese, but I'm not well versed, um, in the culture really in the, um, the written parts and, you know, to be an entrepreneur is already difficult, but then to have the language barrier on top of that was yet another you, level. You were raised in, in, in the States. That's why. Yeah. I'm yeah, yeah. pretty Americanized, um, yeah. most for the most part. And so that was a big moment when I had to shift from my dreams. Now I started having to go find a job again. And that was a big, um, a big shift. And I ended up going through three months of um, depression, trying to find a job because it felt really hopeless. It felt, um, you know, I had, I had, I was a marketing director at 29, 30, and that's typically someone that's like 35, 40. You know, I skipped assistant brand manager, brand manager, assistant marketing director, marketing director. And so all the other jobs I was being concerted for was like assistant brand manager, brand manager. It was like at least a 50% pay cut, uh, mm -hmm. three levels of demotion because they didn't necessarily have a digital marketing director role, but they were like, oh, if you want to come in as a assistant brand manager, we might consider you for that. Um, I didn't, I, I considered going back to McKinsey. I looked at consulting gigs, but then I wasn't excited about that. And it was really, really hard. And then I, I said to myself, you know, what does my heart really want? Like, what's the place that I'm most excited about? And that's actually been true most of my life is, um, you know, even with Harvard, if we rewind a little bit, um, I applied to Harvard, Stanford, and Kellogg back then, and I spent probably 80, 90% of my effort on the Harvard application, and I just copy and pasted for the other two. And of course, like, I ended up getting denied by Kellogg and waitlisted at Stanford, but then I actually got into Harvard right away. 
And so it was interesting. It's like whatever my heart was set on, like I actually, if it was meant to be, I was actually able to push through. And then, so at that point, I, I said, you know, my heart really is at Facebook because I love the product. I had met Mark Zuckerberg um, back when we were both at Harvard. I was in the business school. He was in an undergrad. I had another couple friends that were working there. So I called um, and I texted all of them. I messaged them and said, hey, uh, I would love to work for Facebook. I have a bunch of ideas. Maybe I can help you get into China. I can help you with this and that. And they all said, um, right now, uh, you know, thank you, but we don't know what to do with China yet. We're not ready for that. We're, we just don't have something for you. And then I didn't give up. I kept um, just an eye on what was going on. And I remember one morning I woke up and TechCrunch had a blog post that said, Facebook hires Chamath uh, Palapatiya as the VP of product marketing in charge of monetization platform, blah, blah. And I said, oh, let me try him, and even though I didn't know him. So I looked up his email address at his former VC firm where he was leaving, but he still had um, access to it. So it was chamathamayfield.com. So I emailed him there and I wrote a very succinct email. I still remember, I still have it because that's the email that really changed my life. It was just three sentences on, um, here's you know, who I am. And then like three sentences on, here's how I can help you. And I said, you know, I have um, a digital marketing background. I consulted for Friendster. I had done a deal at McKinsey um, that results in the acquisition of another major social network. And I, I think I can help you monetize. And within a couple of hours, I got a response back. He said, great. He said, uh, put your thoughts in a presentation and send it to me. So then I was like, ooh, game on. But then the stress was really up because I was like, holy cow, I have, <laughs> you know, and it was open-ended. It was like, yeah. do I take a week? Do I take two weeks? How long do I take? Like, I really wanted to impress them. And so that was a really stressful time of like, holy cow, like how can I really wow him with my, um, you know, my thinking. So I think I took two, three, two, three weeks and put together a presentation. Um, and finally I had like maybe six ideas that I put in there of how Facebook can monetize. And I sent it to him. We did a, a phone call and he, it was only a 10 minute call, maybe 15 minutes. It was very brief. And I think that's the nature of working with a lot of high power people, executives is you just got to know your shit and they don't have a lot of time to yeah. you know, dilly, dilly dally. But um, it was him and this guy, Tim Kendall. They were on the call. They both liked it. And they said, okay, we want to fly you out and get to know you. So then I think a week later, I was in Palo Alto, did a full day of interviews with the team, and then um, got an offer. And I flew back to Shanghai, packed my bags, was negotiating my offer. Um, I was negotiating even though I had already packed up my apartment. I knew it was going to take it, but I was still trying to get a little bit more you know, in the package, a little bit more equity, which ended up being a huge deal. Um, and then started my journey at Facebook for four and a half years. And that was, to me, um, the equivalent of being like a part of the Chicago Bulls when Michael Jordan was there. I mean, it was the greatest rush I can imagine of being an entrepreneur um, in training. Because Mark always said, you know, most of you will leave. I mean, there's still a few people that are still there from the beginning, but most people leave. But he's like, you know, different places you go to um, and they're known for different things. Like you go to P&G if you want to be a great marketer, right? And he's like, I want Facebook to be a place um, known to train entrepreneurs, you know, because we're very entrepreneurial. And I remember when I was at PepsiCo, I was the, um, the more progressive, the rebel, the crazy one, if you will. And all the other folks were more conservative and traditional. When I got to Facebook, I had to unlearn everything I learned at McKinsey and uh, PepsiCo. I was now the conservative one. You know, when I got there and there were 50 million users, I remember the, the uh, executive team, they were like planning for what this Facebook looked like when there's a billion users. And I was like, can we just get to 60 million or maybe 100 million? I know MySpace was 
uh, at 100 million at that point, and so that was already the next target. But they're already planning for you know half a billion, a bit, like big, big plans. And uh, and so that was a learning for me to adapt to that culture. And you know, at 30 was when I started. I was the um, the gray hair in the room, even though you know I was like the, the elder person in the room. Most of the my peers at the time were probably mid, you know, early mid 20s. Hmm. So that was a huge shift, you know, from going from PepsiCo to uh, from McKinsey PepsiCo to Facebook, and then um, had a few different chapters there. Uh, one was figuring out why growth had slowed at one point. And the truth is in the data. Um, I took it upon myself to learn SQL, pulled a bunch of data, threw data against uh, like 200 different charts. You know, because at McKinsey, one of the things we learned was um, look in the data. You know, there's a lot of assumptions and hypotheses on why things aren't working, but it was in the data. And it turned out that people that had users that had friends stayed and users that didn't have friends didn't stay. A lot of the users that we were acquiring um, that were not in college, a lot of the post-college users came on. They didn't find friends fast enough, and then all of a sudden it was a really lonely experience, and then they left the platform. And there was a whole bunch of efforts that then got kicked off based on this one tiny insight, but it ended up changing the course of the project, and it was based on analysis that I had done. But it was interesting that I didn't, it didn't even occur to me when I pulled the data how big of an insight that was, but it was just like, oh, that was just, but I didn't, but then I showed it to Chamath and Zuck, and then they like immediately realized it. And so it was just interesting. Like I was part of the process, but it wasn't like I was, you know, this genius or whatever, but I, I did pull the data out. I did know where to look. Mm-hmm. Well, um, you don't always have to, you don't have, the answer to a problem like that isn't always very complex either. You're, yeah. you're showing that right now. It's just very simple, but you know, you had the insight to, to look in the right spot. It's yeah. very, very cool. It's a very cool. I like, thank you for the story. It's a very cool story. A very, yeah, very and, fun and, story. And, I, and I would say, you know, if you're a business person, I think a lot of times we have all these assumptions and mm-hmm. Just make sure, you know, also spend some time on the data. I think it's a mix of both the gut, but also, you know, the, the data showed a lot of correlations, and then there was one that seemed more like a causation, and then the causation ended up unlocking. But, of course, the, the insight alone wouldn't have done anything. Then Zuck pivoted like crazy, you know, took all the engineers off of ads, which was actually what I was hired to do, and it was frustrating because we went from a team of 10 down to a team of two, but then put all those engineers onto growth and fixing all the issues that, you know, um, would help people find friends. So that was um, one really interesting project. And then the other one was obviously um, uh, when, when Mark wanted to learn Mandarin and he, uh, the first year he um, hired a tutor and uh, worked with her a couple times a week and you know, got himself to a pretty good spot, went to China and then he realized he couldn't understand anyone's um, accent other than his tutors because he had only heard one person. So then the next year he came back and he said, hey, um, can someone help me organize <clears throat> to have you know, at that point, we probably had 100 engineers that um, are Chinese and native speakers. And can someone help me organize and, and kind of uh, help me actually have conversations with different with people with different accents, you know, from north of China, south of China, just like in America, we have different or in North America, we have you know, different accents. So I did that and I got to spend um, a couple hours with him every week. And that was uh, just so inspiring to be with um, someone of that like talent and focus and discipline and curiosity. And, and he was very humble with just, you know, he was like, and, and just learning. Um, so that, I w- and then kind of the, the pinnacle of that was, I remember uh, November of that year, we had uh, a group visiting from China called the China Entrepreneur Club, which collectively was like the CEOs of 20 of the biggest uh, companies in China that collectively represented 4% of China's GDP. <laughs> and, Zuck uh, 
did the entire Q&A by himself, you know, relatively simple, basic questions. Uh, I think I helped him on two questions. I leaned in and just gave, just helped him on two questions, but he did the whole hour by himself. And there, I have a photo um, that someone took where I'm kind of standing behind him. And it was a really cool moment for me to just witness like, holy cow, like that was, um, that was quite a progression. So, so you, you had a very, um, a very impactful time on your career and, and your learnings um, at Facebook. You, not only with, with you helping the company, but I'm sure it also had a reciprocal effect on, on yourself and what you chose to do going forward after Facebook. Now, I'm curious, uh, you were very successful there. It, I'm sure there was uh, a lot of other projects and stories that were like that, but these are, these are incredible stories. What... What made you at 35 want to leave and do your own thing? Because it sounded like you had a really good thing going there, right? You like, it's not like Facebook has slowed down by any means since you left. Well, uh, to be honest, um, my career had slowed down there. Um, I think those, those projects all made sense, but, um, I wasn't getting promoted. I was kind of at this level and Mm -hmm. I realized that, um, you know, I just wasn't getting promoted. I wasn't getting offered the next level, like getting promoted to director and whatnot. And so I was looking around and I was like, okay, what's going on? And I realized there was something that needed to change inside me. Like I had sort of maxed out on my own and I had learned that uh, my boss, Tim Kendall, I really admired his leadership and his ability to um, be present with people and just who he was as a person. And people loved him. And I said, Tim, like, what's your secret? And he had said, you know, I've been working with this executive coach that had made a big difference. So that planted a seed. But um, independent of that, I just realized, and, and also, you know, at Facebook, they give you um, stock in tranches. And I had a big, nice initial tranche that was a four-year vesting cycle. And then that had vested, and my subsequent, you know, tranches weren't as exciting. It was a relatively small relative to the first one. And so that invested. And so I was like, well, financially, there wasn't that much upside. I wasn't, you know, and then I looked around the company. I was like, is there any other parts of the company that you know, I hadn't worked on platform at that point, but there wasn't anything that interesting. Um, I looked around a little bit more and then I, I think in my heart, I just knew it was time for something else. It was time for another venture. And I was getting pinged by VC firms and other um, social networks and other, just other players that did want to make me like a VP of strategy or, uh, you know, maybe a partner at a VC firm. So I said, you know, let me pull the ripcord. I'd made, um, I had met my financial goals for what my financial freedom looked like. So I pulled the ripcord and left and started traveling with my then girlfriend. Um, After two months of being on the road, uh, we ended up um, fighting a lot. Um, And I think traveling together around the world, being nomadic is a great test for a relationship. Either you make it or you break it. And at that point we had been together for four years and it was either we're gonna get married or go the other way. And uh, actually in Paris was the place where we actually um, left, where we broke up. Um, And that sent me through a pretty dark time. Uh, After that breakup, uh, my identity, like, you know, who I was. And then I was getting recruited for um, a company called Vidi. And as part of, they wanted me to be a COO and eventually probably a CEO. And as part of that, I um, negotiated a coaching package, an executive coach that was a very expensive package, but um, they were very um, gracious to offer me that package. But then I started working with um, this coach, Janet, uh, who started teaching me some basic things like just, you know, how to like, how to work with my own emotions, how to be present, how to listen, you know, um, and these certain skills that uh, I didn't have. Um, the the role didn't work out. The company ended up going under, and I, I, it just didn't fit. But I think you know, it's it's interesting how life. Um, Tony Robbins has a quote that says, 
sometimes what you come for is not why you came. You know, and, and so many times in my life, I would think I went in for one thing. You know, I thought I went in to be the CEO of this company that on paper was going to be worth a lot and blah, blah, blah. And I was going to make another fortune. But actually, like when I went into Viddy, I ended up meeting this executive coach who ended up teaching me the value of inner work. And she herself uh, went to Naropa and um, highly skilled um, executive coach. She coaches at Pinterest, Facebook, et cetera. Um, but she also started telling me stories of, you know, these monks who could um, meditate, uh, you know, in the cold, right? Like on the mountaintop with, you know, crazy winds and they could put a blanket on these monks and the monk by, through meditation could generate enough heat to create steam off of the blankets. I don't know if you ever heard anything like that. Um, no, no, I haven't. No, no, that's incredible though. Um, and, and this is a, this is a true story as well. This is like uh, this is like a, an actual fact. Yeah. Yeah. These are stories yeah. you can look up on um, YouTube. And also if you look at, um, have you heard of Wim Hof? Yes. Yeah, I have. Yeah. If you look at Wim Hof, right, he will take a group of people, train them, and hike a mountain in just shorts and it's snow everywhere. You know, what otherwise people would be bundled up in, um, you know, down coats, they would do the whole hike, but it's through the power of the breath and the power of the mind and the power of the body. Like that sort of fascinating me. And it set me off on a whole new path. I was like, Oh, this is my new fascination. Let me go um, explore what this is all about. So I know a lot of entrepreneurs listen to this show and NetSuite has been a huge supporter for entrepreneurs, for business owners, because there's one thing that we all know. Business is about making money and it's about your bottom line. And the less you spend on the nuts and bolts of running your business, the more profits you keep. But these days, everything is costing more. Supplies, people, shipping. It squeezes your margins. And I've been there juggling multiple systems for finance, inventory, you name it, each with its own costs and its own set of headaches. That's why I made the switch to NetSuite by Oracle. It's changed our company. Think about it. NetSuite is one of the top financial systems out there. It puts your whole business on one platform, accounting, finance, the works, one data source for everyone. There's no more mismatched info. And because it's in the cloud, it slashes your IT costs. No more servers, no more updates. Just access NetSuite from anywhere. With one integrated suite, your overhead drops big time. And here's the real win. Efficiency. Everything's connected in NetSuite. Costs are ridiculous lately. Find a proven way to reduce your expenses and get better performance out of your team. It's a no-brainer, and that's what NetSuite offers. Over 37,000 companies have figured this out already. You have to join them. Right now, through to April 15th, NetSuite's got an incredible, flexible financing plan. Check it out and see the savings yourself at netsuite.com slash scottclary. That's netsuite.com slash scottclary. I don't know about you, but the idea of being harassed, scammed, or even worse, all because somebody found my personal information online, that's terrifying. Our political opinions, our addresses, even stuff about our families, it's out there for anyone to grab. And did you know that data brokers are allowed to sell information on over 98% of Americans? It's scary stuff. That's why I've partnered with Delete Me. I personally use Delete Me. They're a big friend of the podcast because I put myself out there online. So safety is a huge concern. It's really scary how easy it is to find someone's details and information, but Delete Me creates a layer of protection that we all need. You tell Delete Me what you want gone and they make it disappear from those sketchy data broker sites. And Delete Me doesn't stop. They constantly monitor the web to keep your information off those lists. It's like having a privacy watchdog that never sleeps. You need to take control of your data and keep your private life private by signing up for Delete Me. They're giving a special discount for all Success Story podcast listeners. Get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeleteme.com 
Amazon.com slash success and use promo code success at checkout. The only way to get 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com slash success and enter code success at checkout. J-O-I-N-D-E-L-E-T-E-M-E dot com slash success. Hey everyone, I just want to take a second and thank the sponsor of today's episode, Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond Bourbon. Now I don't have a lot of liquor sponsors on this show. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond is actually one of my favorites. I've drank it for a few years now and this is why we actually decided to work together. Heaven Hill Distillery, family owned since 1935, is a great entrepreneur story too. So there's five brothers, they filled their first whiskey barrels back in 1935 and their legacy still lives on today. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond is aged over seven years. That's three more than required by the Bottled and Bond Act of 1897. This means the best quality, the best purity, and the best consistency. This is not just average bourbon. It's the winner of the double gold medals at multiple 2023 World Spirits competitions, and they've won the very prestigious Triple Still Award. It's a very big deal in the liquor and bourbon world. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond boasts an exceptionally smooth oak flavor, while its aroma offers a sweet blend of caramel and smooth vanilla. If you love bourbon, you need to try Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond. Available nationally, look for a bottle at your local store. Heaven Hill reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. Think back to your last few days in the office. Did any of them leave you feeling really accomplished? Not the kind of day where you're running around like crazy, but where you've made real progress on something that matters. Because being busy doesn't always mean being productive. And I bet you we've all been there. And maybe it's time to rethink what it means to get things done. Today's episode is sponsored by Belay. And what they help you do is, instead of getting sucked into emails and to-do lists, they help you delegate tasks and focus on big goals. They can connect you with top-notch US-based talent who are ready to take on those time-consuming tasks that bog you down. Let's be real. There are way more important things you could be doing than bookkeeping or wrangling a packed inbox. They have virtual assistants to handle all of those pesky administrative tasks or accounting professional to take care of all your financials. But here's the best part. You don't have to waste weeks searching for the right person. Belay's personalized matching service works quickly, sometimes matching you with the right talent to take stuff off your plate in under a week. Are you ready to try a different way of working? Check out Belay's list of the top 25 things you can delegate to a virtual assistant. It might just change your business and your life. Text SUCCESS, that's S-U-C-C-E-S-S, to 55123 to get the list and to start transforming your to-do list with Belay. Thank you so much indeed for sponsoring Success Story. For all business leaders out there, Indeed is a lifesaver. See, we're always driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. You're going to ditch the busy work and you're going to use Indeed for scheduling, screening, messaging, so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Clary. Just go to Indeed.com slash Clary right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed 
on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Clary. Terms and conditions apply. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Oh, you left, you left Facebook. Um, you, you had this not not life-changing but i guess a career career-defining life-defining moment through some of the interactions with this life coach when i look at uh when i look at my intent was this one of the first ventures that you that you delved into post facebook or were there other things that you had done in your career in your life before my intent uh, really came to fruition so the story with my intent begins january of 2013 um at rock bottom, I signed up for this thing called the Hoffman process. It's a seven day retreat where you really go inside and um, find out who you are and, and find out who I am, you know? Um, and I only learned about this thing because of the CEO that recruited me to Vidi, which ended up, we ended up parting ways, but it's so interesting, right? Because of him, uh, this guy, Brett O'Brien, I ended up learning about the Hoffman and then having an executive coach. So I'm very grateful to him, even though our business relationship ended um, after three weeks. But um, that was a pretty big pivot into my, you know, into my journey. And at the Hoffman, they teach these very basic concepts like I statements, um, which is all about a lot of times we speak in you and in general, like we speak on behalf of the world sometimes. Or, you know, they have this idea where we don't talk about sports, politics. You don't talk about what you do. So all the conversations are around feelings and what are you feeling in the moment? What's really going on inside you? What do you really care about? Uh, what I care about. So, you know, so it's all about I statements. Um, they had this idea of no cross talking. And that to me was huge because I grew up in a family where active listening was not really practiced. Um, culturally, it just wasn't part of my culture, my family. And um, I, I felt so heard for the first time where um, you know, cross talking would be like, let's say if I asked you like, what's your favorite food, right? You tell me it's sushi. And then I all of a sudden cut in and be like, oh, well, you know, my best friend loves sushi too. And I don't let you finish like why you like sushi or, you know, that's the idea of cross talking, these basic skills. Um, so I learned those skills and I just felt seen and heard and supported. And the teachers were so loving and caring. I felt like for the first time they weren't judging me. Um, and I remember like the last day of the, of the process, I said, God, I really want to bring this, this magic of being seen and heard to the everyday. Like how cool it would be if I didn't have to go to a, a seven day retreat, but like it, this could happen just every Sunday or, you know, and it's, a, it's an expensive, um, expensive process. It's $5,000. So it tends to be, um, and they have some scholarships, but you know, it's not accessible to a lot of people. And so I said, how can we bring this to more people? So that was the intention back in January of 13. Uh, I started doing a lot of inner work, a lot of like improv singing, just different um, workshops. And at one point, uh, then I started hosting gatherings where I would invite people to come and we would do yoga together. We would, you know, meditate. Um, I, on, my, on my birthday, on my 36th birthday, uh, I hosted a similar gathering. And then I had friends say, if you have a talent or a gift you want to share, just tell me what it is and I'll put you in the schedule. So one friend uh, said, I want to come and make intention bracelets for people. And that's how I learned how to make intention bracelets. So very simple idea. You pick one word that you want to set as an intention, something you want to remind yourself of to be your best. Um, and then she would stamp it for you, um, for the, for the guest, uh, on this little, I mean, back then there were like jewelry washers or tokens, you know? Um, and then there'd be a little letter stamping kit. So it's just, it's like a typewriter. It's like a little, mm -hmm. um, not stencil, not stencils, but like little typesets, like letter stamps. We call them letter stamps. 
have a hammer and you just pound in one letter at a time on a little token and then you take a piece of yarn or twine or string and you tie it on your wrist. And then the idea then was um, when it was time to fall off, it would fall off and you were done with that intention. You move on to the next one. So she made it for me. The first word I chose was the word impact because I wanted to make a difference um, with my life and made it for some other folks at this gathering. And this gathering was beautiful. It was, um, there's no alcohol. It was my birthday. And, but everyone felt really uplifted. It was my test of, can I bring people together with a little bit of a 45 minute program where we sang and moved and danced, but, um, but not your usual, you know, birthday party where you got wasted and then you you had a hangover the next day. So the next morning I woke up so energized, everyone's so happy. Like, I was like, wow, that was amazing. Um, and then we, my friend Ingrid and I, we met up uh, a week later and she ended up giving me a kit and she's like, here's, um, a kid as a gift. Um, if you, you're moving to LA, if you want, make some of these for your friends in LA. So I moved to LA. I started hosting weekly gatherings. Uh, I called it Spirit Lab. It was a place where we'd come and do things that felt good for the spirit. Um, it was hands-on, experimental. It just it was like playtime. It was fun for adults, um, but very intentional in terms of you know we weren't drinking. There was no um, you know, it, it was just very like uplifting. It was like, it was like my Sunday church kind of experience, but there was no preaching. And I thought that was the other thing that I really enjoyed about the Hoffman was um, they asked a lot of questions and they did a lot of visuals, like a lot of guided experiences. It was highly experiential and it was up to each of us to find our own answers for whatever question was being prompted. And there was no, like, you have to believe this, you have to do that. It was really just up to us to find our own um, path. And so that was the inspiration and model for how I did these uh, weekly gatherings. And then for my intent, um, that started because uh, at my gatherings, we would make each other a bracelet. So usually um, in the living room or we'd set up a table somewhere like on the coffee table. Um, as soon as you come in, you would hear this hammer, you know, um, going off and be like, what's going on? Why is someone pounding over there? And you walk over and somebody would, I would get my friends to volunteer at the table and uh, someone would ask you, Oh, what's your word? And you know, I used to have them sign up in like half hour, hour shifts. And, um, and then all of a sudden people would get their first, like, it was almost like you're part of a member's club. You know, people around town started having these little, little wristbands, like these little bracelets. And it's like, they would meet each other and they'd be like, Oh, like, Oh, you go to spirit lab too. Like it was this, it was this thing, you know? And so, um, it became a thing. It was always for free, you know? Um, and then in April, uh, of 2014, I had a friend who said, Hey, I have a fundraiser to raise money for orphans, um, with, uh, HIV, uh, in Africa. Um, will you come and make some bracelets, uh, and we can take donations. I was like, sure, why not? Got three friends together. Um, the four of us, you know, in three hours raised $2,500. And that was a big aha moment. I was like, up until then, I'd never even thought about charging for these. And we gave all the money, 100% of it, back to the, um, uh, to the foundation um, because it was just time and material costs. And the material costs, I was happy to just absorb. Um, and so that was eye-opening. And then uh, that summer, I ended up, um, some friends wanted a job, wanted to make some money. I was like, well, here, here's... Um, a maker kit. I gave him the materials and I, I set them off to make it. And then, um, one guy, this guy, James, he ended up building a website. You know, he was trying to, um, also, um, it was all in the spirit of helping people. Like mm-hmm. it was like an accidental business, if you will. Um, but I did, I did love the idea of, you know, bringing this to the world. And of course, like, I think for me, it felt good because every time I made a bracelet for someone, um, there was always a huge amount of appreciation and a big hug, usually, you know, pre COVID. Um, sometimes people would cry, you know, they're, they're oftentimes people would have tears and, you know, they felt really moved that, um, 
that somebody listened to them. You know, that's that, yeah. sorry. No, I just wanted to say, um, uh, and I want you to, to, to keep going. The story makes sense when you start to bring out now, this makes a lot more sense. I was, it's very hard to understand all this going into the interview. So I appreciate you laying it out like this because it's a complex story that's led to where my intent is today. Um, I think what I want to understand is, and, I, and maybe you'll get to this as well, but the story of how you made, how you got to my intent, how, how you went on a, a spiritual journey to an extent um, of self-awareness, and that led you to wanting to replicate that for others because you did have, you've achieved this point in your life uh, where you were comfortable. That's, that's, that's great. And, and I respect that completely. What my question, and, and I guess I want to understand more of the impact on the people that are part of this program. For example, how do you, as, uh, as, um, or, or who is your target customer? Who is your target? Who is your target individual that wants to partake in this, that wants to better themselves? Is it, um, is it a, is it an, an executive? Is it a student? Is it somebody who has a lot of free time on their hands? What is, what are you, what are you trying to help people with exactly? Is it inclusivity? Is it impact? Like, I guess, I guess I'm trying to clear the ambiguity as to as to how I understand without speaking to you that this is something that I want to partake in. That's what I want to that's what I want to understand because you know our world if if you're not retired is absolutely nuts. You have kids, you have family, you have work, you have uh you know bills, you have all these stressors. So I would love to look into things that are relaxing, calming, make me feel good about myself that aren't just getting drunk at, a, at somebody's house on, uh, on the weekend. But how does somebody find you? How, did, how does somebody find, you know, focus on something like this? I just want to take a moment to pause and thank the sponsor of today's episode, Canva. Very excited when Canva approached me because I've been using Canva for all my graphic design needs for years. Um, and they have never sponsored me before. So I'm very excited to champion a brand that I personally believe in, support, and I use. Now, if you don't know what Canva is, Canva is the online platform that makes graphic design, designing anything really easy for you and your team. Uh, they have preloaded templates, all professionally made, all very high quality. If you have an idea and you do not know how to bring it to life uh, on your social media, on your website, in your marketing collateral, this is one of the hardest things for an entrepreneur to do. Canva Pro makes this so simple. You do not have to be a designer. You do not have to be uh, an artist, anything like that. It is a tool that allows you to create beautiful pieces of content and work with a drag and drop editor. It's simple for anybody to use. You can collaborate with teams, no experience necessary. This is what you use to make stunning social media posts, marketing material. It has video components. Honestly, with Canva Pro, it takes the headache out of creating design. Canva Pro includes 75 million premium ingredients, including premium stock photos that you usually have to pay hundreds of dollars for, illustrations, videos, audio, anything you can need to literally design anything. It has in one spot, in one app. It truly democratizes design. Now, why I'm so excited about this sponsorship is that they gave me a unique code for everybody who's listening to use. So if you want to test out Canva, if you want to test out all of the incredible features for design, remember I said images, audio, video, they have 
ability to include team features, brand kits, background removers, uh, resizing different objects with the click of a button. All of it is seamless, super user-friendly, extremely intuitive. If you want to start using it today, go to canva.me backslash Scott. They're giving everybody who's listening a special deal, 45 days free pro Canva. You cannot get this deal by going on their website. So go to canva.me backslash Scott. You will get a Canva Pro account for 45 days. You can try out as many features as you want. You can make a ton of content. Canva.me backslash Scott. See why design is no longer scary. You will never look at design the same way again after you try it. Trust me on this one. Canva.me backslash Scott. So in terms of who is our customer, my original customer was, my original person I wanted help was someone who um, maybe doesn't have time to do inner work um, and is busy. And this is sort of a, a quick little pause, a quick invitation mm-hmm. to just take a moment and just have like a mini retreat. And I often lead one hour workshops um, where I, I consider it like a micro retreat. Mm-hmm. You know, most people don't have seven days to go away and go really deep. And, and you mentioned that. But, That's true. Yeah. Yeah. But, but can I, you know, can I give someone a five minute, like a little mini back massage? It's like the, I think of it as like the back massage you get at the mall. You know, those guys like maybe don't have time to go to a spa for a full hour and a half, you know, treatment, but like a 15 minute back rub. So I think of it as like a little emotional, spiritual um, support. And I've had so many stories of people where, you know, in a moment of crisis and a moment of, um, despair, they look down on their wrist and, and that word is there, whatever it is that they had set and that end up supporting them through that tough time. So, um, so that's one, that, that was who I wanted to serve because I realized there's a lot of, and I, I being one of them being a busy executive who just never made time for inner work until then I had a lot of time. Yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> but, but during my time at PepsiCo, during my time at, uh, you know, Facebook, uh, it was just work. And then I had a couple of distractions, there, a couple hobbies, you know, but I never really meditated. I never just prioritized it. So I, I was hoping this would be a, um, a way to serve uh, folks like that in a fun way. Cause this is something that can totally be done at a brunch or at a picnic or, um, you know, at a fundraiser where, you know, you went in for one thing, you went in for a fundraiser and then you ended up having a connection with like, what's most important to you. Yeah. You know, so it's like the unexpected, but it's, it's there to, um, to help you. Uh, we have over 50,000 people that have bought maker kits. So we offer, so we offer the tools for people to make their own for their friends and family, because I, I didn't want me to a, like it doesn't scale with just me having the tools. It's in the same way. My friend gave me a set of tools. I was like, well, I can't give away 50,000 sets, but I'll make it really um, nicely designed. Uh, my dad is an aircraft engineer and he ended up designing some of the pieces. So they fit. So like, you know, we have seven year olds making these. So it's super easy. Um, and then, uh, most of these 50,000 folks, a lot of them are, um, most of them are women who, you know, they, they want to make a difference, you know, they, they, they're community builders, but we actually, we have a, we have a men, women, like there are folks who somehow, you know, some people, they get it um, to do with their kids. Yeah. As a family activity, um, they do it as fundraisers. Uh, we've had um, a boy make it for um, the first lady, actually. Yeah. Um, so we had that happen. 
Uh, it's a child who's at a hospital and the hospital purchased a maker kit to do as an activity for the kids. And that was one of the most moving interviews I did. Um, we had no idea. All of a sudden we saw pictures of the first lady um, receiving a bracelet from a kid from Africa. He was at the uh, NIH, um, National Institute of Health, with a disease that you know is very rare. So he's there staying at the Children's Inn. And so they, they make bracelets for the kids that are there um, to, to kind of give them something to do and give them some hope. And she says, the reason I like to do these bracelets is it makes the intangible tangible. So a concept like hope or faith or strength or courage, you know, when someone's going through a really hard time, um, you know, how do you remind them that they, they have, there's faith and there's hope that they, they, they can anchor on, you know, and I think about our world today. Um, I think about how much turbulence there is, you know, this is an anchor to who you are as a, as a strong spiritual being to weather the storm. You know, I think of it as an anchor. I think of this as um, like a lighthouse. You know, this is also guiding us to our path. It's like, you know, I set my intention to be um, kind or to be compassionate or to be, you know, resilient, you know, and in moments when I don't feel resilient, it's a reminder of that decision I made um, of who I am. And, and I think that no one will ever debate the efficacy, like the effectiveness of self-development. But like you mentioned, um, that seven day course is a lot, you know, it's a lot of time invested. A lot of people don't go that far. So I, I love that you've really broken it down to these, these micro moments, micro sessions, like just this small, regardless of whether or not there's an actual meeting or if it's just even like given as a gift, it's, it's, it's a small commitment. It's a, it's a micro commitment that is, is hopefully for that person impactful. But I'm curious as to your experience when people take part in my intent, they, they, you know, you, there's, there's these physical little bracelets, these little, um, these little items that carry this word, but there's also, uh, there's also sessions that you host that are the smaller sessions. Do you notice uh, people's lives improve substantially when they start to uh, focus on self-development? Even we, at we've, this we've had breakthroughs that come after an hour. We've had people say, you know, we've had people that have been doing, um, we've been running basically like summer camp for the last seven yeah. weeks and we're taking a pause for August. Um, but we have 10 hours of programming, 10 hours of sessions every day, all different sessions. Some of it is coaching. Some of it is, um, dancing, cooking, like, you know, intentional cooking, um, all, all different curriculum on there. And we've gotten the most beautiful stories back about how it's especially right now uplifted folks out of, um, despair, loneliness, um, and giving them real tools to, to go forward and to make a difference. Um, so yeah, I mean, and, and we're, we're reconfiguring a lot of it to be, um, we'll still have some live ones in the future, but we're going to also do a lot more evergreen content for people to enjoy. Um, so people, you know, check out myintent.org and it's always changing. Um, but you know, there's many ways to participate. One is, you know, find, find your word, you know, our website, we have a word finder. So it helps you find your word, um, order a bracelet, order a maker kit. Just have, uh, we also have these question cards. So we curated 30 questions that we think are the easiest or most powerful to help someone find their intention. And that's that was, something that was going to be, oh, sorry. No, I was, was going to say that was going to be my next question. It was this business almost, this, this business almost happened accidentally. Um, where, where do you want to take it? You know, you were retired and now, and now you're building out, you're building out live courses. you you have a uh, bracelet. You're, 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 you know, you're giving, you're giving 50,000 kits out. Um, now you have a, a program, you're making evergreen content. So what is the, what is the end goal for you? Um, 
The end goal is actually my own happiness and peace and my own growth. And I've learned so much in building this and I've made, you know, like I sort of started the thing with, um, you know, I've made a lot of quote unquote mistakes or there's been failures. There's been, you know, it, it hasn't been a smooth ride. It's been up and down and up and down. And so I've learned a lot. I think the future is in, um, transitioning it to, uh, to really, to really focus more, less on the jewelry to continue being, you know, cause it was never about the jewelry. And I even from day one, I put in the mission statement that, um, this is not a jewelry company. It's a service project because people can confuse us with a, Oh, you started a jewelry company. How cute. Um, and uh, exactly. People would be like the last guy. <laughs> I, think to I said start. that too. I'm sorry. Yeah. They're like, you're the, and I don't even wear jewelry. You're like, you're the last guy to start a jewelry thing. And I'm like, but it's really not. It's a, um, it's an educational, uh, it's an educational initiative on inner work. It's about, you know, how to listen, how to be present, how to care for other people. Um, and then I think of, you know, maybe we'll end with this is, um, Marianne Williamson uh, often talks about a book called A Course in Miracles. I don't know if you're familiar with that one. And I've only I read... Know that, I don't know that book, actually. I've only I've read, read the that, first, um, really, page. <laughs> so I have a lot of books that I um, have maybe only read, you know, bits and pieces of it. But uh, the very first page um, in A Course in Miracles says, this is a required course. The only um, option is when you choose to take it. And I think about, you know, us as human beings on this planet you know, like, what are we really here for? You know, like, yeah, we're here to make money. We have to make money. We got to pay the bills. And, you know, once you, once you get past the basic necessities, it's like, why else are we here? And I think my answer to that is, you know, we're, we have a, an opportunity to learn compassion and learn faith and learn trust and learn hope. Um, these are the more, you know, we're, these are the spiritual concepts that we're here to learn you know, that aren't taught in schools per se, but maybe they are taught in churches or synagogues or temples if, you know, if we go to those. But in general, I think as humanity, you know, like a concept like forgiveness, you know, compassion, like how, how desperately needed is that in our world right now? Very, very. It's happening, right? And empathy, yeah. listening to each other. Um, and so if, if this is the curriculum, you know, I, somebody actually, it wasn't me that said it, but... Um, we made a video back uh, when the first project first started and we, we interviewed um, the people, the, the people that were making the bracelets. And we said, what is this about? What does this project mean to you? And somebody said, you know, life is just a series of intentions. And that really stuck with me. And I was like, yeah, you know, if you think about the spiritual curriculum that we're all here to learn, it's a series of concepts like empathy, like trust and faith and hope. And, and as, as we think about our current environment today, um, you know, I think about it's really hard to learn faith and trust when times are certain, you know, but it's only when you go through the, the waves are crazy. That's when, you know, these muscles get built. Um, it's only in our, through our challenges that we build strength and purpose, you know, resilience. Um, so, so, you know, I know it's hard for a lot of people going through COVID right now. There's, you know, this global pandemic and all that, but, and then for myself, I've had, quite the roller coaster. And I just encourage um, all of us to take a moment to think about, you know, what's, what, what, what can we learn from this despite the challenges and the hard, you know, the hard times. I appreciate that. I think that that's um, a lesson that we should definitely all consider and uh, sort of focus on, focus on taking time away from the, the negativity that you see on the news and on social media 
and focus on on like we we spoke about this before the we started recording, but just like betterment of humanity, and it starts with it starts with learning all those traits you just mentioned. Starts with finding ways to sort of exemplify those and to and to lead with intent in those types of actions. Um, and I think that that's something that you know just be mindful of uh, and maybe use tools like my intent to to optimize the way you can be all of those things purposefully. And I think if everybody did that, we you know we'd be in a better world than we are right now. Yeah. Um, but um, I really that's a it's a beautiful story. Um, I had I had no idea that's how my intent, not the jewelry line, but my intent, the the concept um, came to be. So thank you very much. I appreciate that. Um, yeah. Can I? Is it if you have a hard stop, I'll get your information. But if you don't. Can I ask a couple rapid fire questions from, from, from um, your life, or do you have to go? I well, I'm, yeah, I have another call at four. Like, how fast is it? Like two minutes? I can be a couple minutes late to another call. It's it's not long. It's really it's really really not long. Yeah, let's do it. Um, okay. okay, all right, because uh, you've got you've gone through a lot, um, and I want to just get like your experience, your insight. So, uh, first first one, how, where do you go to learn? Uh, could be a book, a resource, a person that you'd recommend to somebody else. Jeez. I mean, the, the quote that comes to mind is when the student is ready, the teacher will appear. <laughs> and, and the second quote that appears is we teach what we need to learn. So just pay attention to, um, to what's coming up in that sense. Um, online, YouTube is beautiful. I mean, and just friends. And I think, um, yeah, I, I think being curious, I think it's the attitude of curiosity and just asking questions, just asking, having good conversations, I think will, um, you know, will guide people there. Great question though. That's a good, good answer. Um, a lesson you would tell your younger self. A lesson. I mean, um, I mean, I, you know, I, I guess if there was one thing I, I wish I would have maybe started um, my inner work um, earlier, you know, I, I kind of paused on all of that, um, you know, when I started my corporate career. Mm -hmm. So I was just focused on corporate success. And I think it could have entirely been possible to also do this curriculum that I'm speaking of inner work along the way. Um, it is what it is, but I certainly um, could have. And I think I, my life would be quite different, but who knows? I mean, it is what it is, right? And so, um, yeah. Good. And, and what does success mean to you? You've alluded to it, but I'm just to summarize. Um, I think success is ultimately just happiness and fulfillment and inner peace. And I think success is an inside job. I think, um, you know, the word intent has the word in and intent. It's not outtent, you know, and it's like really connecting with our true intention. And, you know, there's things that we're motivated by because, you know, maybe we want success because we have insecurities. You know, there's a joke that when I worked at McKinsey, um, you know, the joke was, oh, McKinsey's literally the full of the most insecure people. Because that's what gives you the drive. There's that. I mean, I think drive comes from different places, but that tends to come from um, a lot of insecurity. And I certainly had plenty of insecurity growing up. Uh, I'm not saying it's 100% the case, but that often comes in. And I think, uh, you know, success is feeling secure. You know, and, and yeah. Um, and no, and the last question, uh, you mentioned the website before, but where can uh, listeners go to connect with you online? Your website, myintent.org. Uh, my and then uh, if you, you know, want to drop me a note personally, I'm chris at myintent.org. 
or um, Instagram, um, Chris, C-H-R-I-S, and then P-A-N, Chris Pan. Um, we'd love to get feedback. You know, if you enjoy thoughts, it, it always is very um, helpful to hear what resonated for you based on our conversation. That's all for today. Thanks again for joining me on another episode of the Success Story Podcast. You can download or stream this podcast wherever podcasts are available, including iTunes, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and many others. You can also watch this podcast on YouTube. If you haven't already, please subscribe and share this podcast with your friends, family, coworkers, and peers. Please leave us a rating on iTunes. It takes about 30 seconds as it allows other people to find our podcast and lets our amazing guests reach even more people with their message. And remember, any rating is fine as long as it contains five stars. I'm Scott Clary from the Success Story Podcast, signing off. I know a lot of entrepreneurs listen to this show and NetSuite has been a huge supporter for entrepreneurs, for business owners, because there's one thing that we all know. Business is about making money and it's about your bottom line. And the less you spend on the nuts and bolts of running your business, the more profits you keep. But these days, everything is costing more. Supplies, people, shipping. It squeezes your margins. And I've been there juggling multiple systems for finance, inventory, you name it, each with its own costs and its own set of headaches. That's why I made the switch to NetSuite by Oracle. It's changed our company. Think about it. NetSuite is one of the top financial systems out there. It puts your whole business on one platform, accounting, finance, the works, one data source for everyone. There's no more mismatched info. And because it's in the cloud, it slashes your IT costs. No more servers, no more updates. Just access NetSuite from anywhere. With one integrated suite, your overhead drops big time. And here's the real win. Efficiency. Everything's connected in NetSuite. Costs are ridiculous lately. Find a proven way to reduce your expenses and get better performance out of your team. It's a no-brainer, and that's what NetSuite offers. Over 37,000 companies have figured this out already. You have to join them. Right now, through to April 15th, NetSuite's got an incredible, flexible financing plan. Check it out and see the savings yourself at netsuite.com slash scottclary. That's netsuite.com slash scottclary. I don't know about you, but the idea of being harassed, scammed, or even worse, all because somebody found my personal information online, that's terrifying. Our political opinions, our addresses, even stuff about our families, it's out there for anyone to grab. And did you know that data brokers are allowed to sell information on over 98% of Americans? It's scary stuff. That's why I've partnered with Delete Me. I personally use Delete Me. They're a big friend of the podcast because I put myself out there online. So safety is a huge concern. It's really scary how easy it is to find someone's details and information. But Delete Me creates a layer of protection that we all need. You tell Delete Me what you want gone and they make it disappear from those sketchy data broker sites. And Delete Me doesn't stop. They constantly monitor the web to keep your information off those lists. It's like having a privacy watchdog that never sleeps. You need to take control of your data and keep your private life private by signing up for Delete Me. They're giving a special discount for all Success Story podcast listeners. Get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeletemecom slash success and use promo code success at checkout. The only way to get 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com slash success and enter code success at checkout. J-O-I-N-D-E-L-E-T-E-M-E dot com slash success. Hey everyone, I just want to take a second and thank the sponsor of today's episode, Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond Bourbon. Now I don't have a lot of liquor sponsors on this show. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond is actually one of my favorites. I've drank it for a few years now, and this is why we actually decided to work together. 
Heaven Hill Distillery, family-owned since 1935, is a great entrepreneur story too. So there's five brothers. They filled their first whiskey barrels back in 1935, and their legacy still lives on today. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond is aged over seven years. That's three more than required by the Bottled and Bond Act of 1897. This means the best quality, the best purity, and the best consistency. This is not just average bourbon. It's the winner of the double gold medals at multiple 2023 World Spirits competitions, and they've won the very prestigious Triple Still Award. It's a very big deal in the liquor and bourbon world. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond boasts an exceptionally smooth oak flavor, while its aroma offers a sweet blend of caramel and smooth vanilla. If you love bourbon, you need to try Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond. Available nationally, look for a bottle at your local store. Heaven Hill reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. Think back to your last few days in the office. Did any of them leave you feeling really accomplished? Not the kind of day where you're running around like crazy, but where you've made real progress on something that matters. Because being busy doesn't always mean being productive. And I bet you we've all been there. And maybe it's time to rethink what it means to get things done. Today's episode is sponsored by Belay. And what they help you do is, instead of getting sucked into emails and to-do lists, they help you delegate tasks and focus on big goals. They can connect you with top-notch US-based talent who are ready to take on those time-consuming tasks that bog you down. Let's be real. There are way more important things you could be doing than bookkeeping or wrangling a packed inbox. They have virtual assistants to handle all of those pesky administrative tasks or accounting professionals to take care of all your financials. But here's the best part. You don't have to waste weeks searching for the right person. Belay's personalized matching service works quickly, sometimes matching you with the right talent to take stuff off your plate in under a week. Are you ready to try a different way of working? Check out Belay's list of the top 25 things you can delegate to a virtual assistant. It might just change your business and your life. Text SUCCESS, that's S-U-C-C-E-S-S, to 55123 to get the list and to start transforming your to-do list with Belay. Thank you so much indeed for sponsoring Success Story. For all business leaders out there, Indeed is a lifesaver. See, we're always driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. You're going to ditch the busy work and you're going to use Indeed for scheduling, screening, messaging, so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Clary. Just go to Indeed.com slash Clary right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Clary. Terms and conditions apply. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. 